Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free and we're back on dealing together where we help good people who fell for bad deals first caller i had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. You got one goal. That's to leave the cold northern winters to head south with your family. Start a new life, maybe. In a place called Celebration, Florida. Sounds kind of joyful, doesn't it? A place where your family can thrive and live and You're just down the road from Disney World, of all places. But the cases I want to talk to you about today involve one of the most heinous crimes in the history of Florida. I'm talking about the Tote Family Massacre. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. My friend Jackie Howard's joining me today. She's the executive producer of Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Jackie, this case crossed multiple state lines. It did, Joe. In fact, it started in Connecticut. Anthony Tony Tote owned Family Physical Therapy, but he also started another practice in Florida, Celebration, Florida, as you mentioned, Joe. He was traveling back and forth to run his business. But in Connecticut, the feds started showing up at the office investigating Tote for fraud. He continues his practice in Florida. In September, Tote's license to practice in Connecticut was not renewed. In December, the Tote family was being evicted from their Florida celebration home. In the middle of all of this, we find out that the Tote family has not been heard from since Thanksgiving. 
Tony Totes' extended family posted a notice on social media that they had not been heard from. So in December, local police show up to do a wellness check. No one answered. Later, the feds show up to execute an arrest warrant on fraud charges. And as the federal agents entered the home, they see Anthony Tote coming down the stairs, almost stumbling, falling. And he says he thinks his family is upstairs asleep. But Joe, when the agents go upstairs, that is not what they found. No, it wasn't what they found. These are not FBI agents. These agents that are showing up are uh, from the health service, essentially. And they have they have arrest authority and, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at this guy for health fraud. These investigators or agents from the feds, they're, they're not used to this sort of thing. They're there with the locals and they're there to arrest this fellow for fraud and then all of a sudden like a 10 pound sledgehammer they get knocked with this overwhelming smell of decomposition because that that's what's going on as they move up the staircase which tote himself had been descending you'd mentioned in this kind of stupor saying his family was asleep as you get higher and higher and higher on that staircase the smell becomes more profound and when they finally did make entrance, they stepped up on that landing and walked into that bedroom. And what they saw was just unbelievable, the carnage. Because within that bedroom, Tote's entire family lay there, uh, deceased. They certainly weren't asleep. Um, and in an advanced state of decomposition, they're, you know, in every news article that's been written and even in court, you know, they're referring to this as putrefaction. Uh, this is, these bodies were decomposing up there on that second floor of that home. Okay, Joe, I'm going to come back and let you explain to me exactly what you mean by that. But I've got a legal question. Agents went in on an arrest warrant, but when they ran into the bodies, that changed everything about this investigation and how the forensics were collected. Explain to me what the discovery of dead bodies did to the investigation. Yeah, and that's very important here. Just just imagine in your mind a giant light switch gets flipped uh, because now you've you've gone from these people out there serving a federal arrest warrant for insurance fraud to now you've discovered all of these deceased people and immediately the locals because you know Homicide is not the purview of of the feds. That's those are state charges, and so now the sheriff has a vested interest in this case beyond just assisting with a, with an arrest warrant at this point in time. Now, this has become a death investigation, and once the scene is actually rendered safe, that means that the police have gone through the house room by room checking to make sure that there's no one else in the house that might be in danger. The police actually withdraw from the house. They secure it. And a lot of people don't really understand that. They think that simply because you have a dead body in a house that constitutional issues and all that stuff go out the window. No, that doesn't happen. You have to go secure a search warrant relative to a death investigation. And that means that you can go through the house and search completely and process the scene forensically and all these sorts of things without that search warrant. And there have been cases over the years that have been literally thrown out in homicide cases because the police did not, did not get a search warrant. All of that stuff's thrown out. It's fruit of the poison tree is what it essentially turns out to. The sheriff was actually talking about this later on. So you have to back out secure the scene, wait for a search warrant, and then you come back and begin processing the scene. And that way, everything you collect in this case going forward can be brought into evidence and you can begin to build a case. The bodies of Tote's wife, Megan, son, Alec, 13, son, Tyler, 11, and daughter, Zoe, four years old, were found. Also found dead was the family dog, Breezy. So you mentioned putrefaction, Joe. What is that? I think many people have probably heard the term putrefaction or maybe uh, putrid, which is the root of this. And it means to decay, uh, essentially. And it's a very broad ranging term. And we use it in forensics. But 
I, I love for my, my audience with body bags to understand kind of some of the subtleties involved here. When we begin to talk about decomposition and these sorts of things from a medical legal standpoint, we have something, if you think about this from a, what's called a, a micro perspective and then a macro perspective, you think from a micro perspective and how, how appropriate here, you have something that we begin to talk about. It's called autolytic change or autolysis. And that means at a very base cellular level, once an individual dies, those proteins, the enzymes within the cells begin to kind of self-digest because there's no longer any kind of cellular respiration going on. Uh, so they're trying to survive, essentially. And the body begins to digest itself. That's the term autolysis or autolytic change, auto meaning cell. And then you kind of broaden that out and you begin to think about putrefaction. Well, not only do you have this stuff going on at, at a microscopic level, but then more broadly, you have all of these external factors that begin to play into this process of, uh, of decomposition or putrefaction. They talk about how uh, one of the, the boys is laying on the floor and this is just almost too horrible to even contemplate. And he's got this evidence of desiccation of his feet and desiccation you've heard of desiccated items that means that they're without moisture his feet have begun to dry out and mummify and so you've got these external environmental factors in this environment remember the the house is without electricity uh it's hot you're talking about florida even though it's january it's hot you're in the upper story anybody's ever been into your attic for instance you know that it gets very very hot and that's what would have been going on in here it would have been like living in an oven for a protracted period of time with bodies that have been breaking down for not just days but but weeks so you mentioned mummification and we learned in court that these bodies were in a state of being mummified. They believe the wife and children were killed in December. They were not found until well after the new year. How long does it take for a body to become mummified? And we know that Anthony Tote stayed in the home during this time. So how did this man stay in this home with the process going on? That's a great question. And, you know, we hear, you know, over the course of any year in a news cycle, you'll hear about people that have been living within a home of uh, that also contains a decomposing body. And most of the time, these are going to be individuals that th there are any number of these cases out there that occur where you have somebody that is suffering from dementia, say, for instance, and they have a loved one that dies in the home with them, maybe their caretaker, and they'll be found, you know, weeks later, maybe in uh, living in the house. But that's somebody that's in in a state of mind where they don't really have the ability to care for themselves. Now, you do have these cases like this where an individual has perpetrated some kind of horrible crime and they indwell. And, you know, I have to ask myself many times as an investigator, how could you do this? Because I've been around, I can't tell you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decomposed bodies and it's it's not something that you get used to necessarily you kind of work around it and you do what you have to do as a job but when you examine this from the perspective that he is a husband and that he is a daddy to these three precious children I don't know that I necessarily have an answer to that question. How could you, I think, is, is, is what I'm left with. What's, what's the stop here? You know, what, what's putting the brakes on him from exiting the house earlier, maybe fleeing? Is it fear? Is he addled in his mind where he can't make these decisions? He's, he puts this forth later on, I think, in the narrative that he, he was not in control of his faculties, if you will that he was deranged in some way. Of course, that's, that's certainly not the case. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Getting past the horror of the decomposition of your family. I, I can't even begin to fathom that. Uh, the life cycle of flies. The flies, you know, you're living in this environment with these bodies of your wife and your children. Flies lighting on their bodies and then in turn lighting on your body as you're trying to move through this house. The horror, the level of horror here is just unimaginable. We know, Joe, that the family was killed. Police characterized it as unspecified violence they released the fact that the family was given overdoses of benadryl and then stabbed all were stabbed except the four-year-old megan was stabbed twice in the stomach the boys sustained a single stab wound to the abdomen again the four-year-old was not stabbed what is an overdose of benadryl joe and what does it do to allow ultimately for you to be stabbed without you fighting yeah, that's that's an excellent question uh benadryl for those that are not familiar with it i think a goodly portion of us are 
uh, is an antihistamine, and it's it's used in order to uh, thwart um, kind of these these automatic reactions that we have to to things that come into our system that affect us. You know, you begin to think about pollen and all these things that that <clears throat> that impact us during the spring. You know, where we we're sneezing constantly, runny eyes. Well. Uh, one of the presentations that you have with an antihistamine is that it makes individuals drowsy. You've got diphenhydramine. As a matter of fact, diphenhydramine is included in a number of drugs that are out there that people will use in order to facilitate sleep, in order just to get them started sleeping. And it's it's as a drug, it's kind of interesting because it's very, very quickly absorbed into the system approximately within an hour of ingesting this drug, um, you begin to get drowsy and you'll drift off many times. It's, you know, they say don't drive, you know, when you're taking this stuff because you'll run off the road. Any number of people have, have dozed off at the wheel and have wound up dying as a result of having Benadryl on board. And that's just with one tablet with, uh, just let me give you an example, uh, Jackie, when they estimate for, uh, Tyler, who is the 11 year old in, in this case that Tyler had, they believe, and again, <laughs> decomposition plays a factor here. They believe that Tyler may very well have had up to 18, the equivalent of 18 tablets of diphenhydramine in his system. It, and each one of these tablets is 25 milligrams. So he would have had a, a totality of like 460 milligrams of diphenhydramine on board. Now, they're saying that that might not necessarily kill you, but it could push you toward uh, a comatose state. Uh, You could get so deep into sleep that it's compromising your ability to respire, that is to take up oxygen and these sorts of things. Hang on, Joe. You're telling me that this child had a certain amount of Benadryl in his body. Let's break this down a little bit further for people because it's hard. It's even hard for me to understand how many doses basically would that break down to? So you figure, you know, uh, a, a normal dosage for an adult is going to be right at about 25 milligrams or just one. These tablets are pink. They're pink in color. Uh, just one of these little tablets. And for folks that are not familiar with what they look like, if anybody's ever had a piece of Pez candy before that comes out of little cartoon characters heads, um, that's what a Benadryl kind of looks like. It's that shape. So if you took one of those 25 milligram tablets and literally snapped it in half, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at roughly, you know, a dosage of, of about 12.5 milligrams. And that would have been sufficient for a child of Tyler's age and his weight, he's not a very big kid, but then you learn how much he actually had on board. He had on board the equivalent of 18 full-size tablets. That's 460 milligrams of this stuff in his system that had been administered to him. So why, why would an individual do that? Well, it's, it's, it's easy. It's accessible. It's over the counter. You don't need a prescription for it. So it's going to drive down your system and it's going to inhibit your ability uh, to fight back. If someone is attacking you, for instance, if they're stabbing you or beating you or maybe even suffocating you. And I think that that was the goal of Tote all along here with his entire family was to administer this medication to them in order to get them into a submissive position. We know how little it would have taken for the children. What about the wife, Megan? Yeah, that's that's the real problem. And it's actually a problem with all of these poor family members that that were administered uh, these drugs. We've got this specter of decomposition that's going on here. So as a body begins to break down and understand this, one of the comments that was made early on about this was that they could not even pull blood from these bodies. Remember how we talked about putrefaction? You've got this issue that's called desiccation, which means drying out. And that means that the blood sample that you would normally get uh, is just, it's not going to be there. I mean, we're talking, you know, I think, probably from what I've read and heard and and kind of examined in this case, 
we're looking at maybe a month to a month and a half downrange from death. Uh, these bodies have been greatly compromised. So what do we do? Well, in the morgue, uh, you have some soft tissue that is left. And in this particular case, and Megan specifically, the mom, uh, the only thing they could really sample for her to try to determine how much she had on board this drug was to get brain tissue. And when they got her brain tissue and examined it, and literally you have to take uh, soft tissue uh, and place it into a centrifuge, which spins it around and almost liquefies it. It does actually liquefy it. And once it gets into that liquefied state, you draw it up and then you can test it uh, for whatever chemicals are on board. And in Megan's case, um, she came back with a 5.02 milligram uh, level of diphenhydramine in her system. And what that would mean is that you have to do the math here because that is indicative of her having a much larger dose in life because she's decomposing. So all you have left is 5.02 milligrams left in her brain. So it's made it past the liver that couldn't get anything out of her liver. The only thing they could find was in her brain. So that tells me as an investigator that more than likely, she had been probably subjected to this earlier on. She had been down for a longer time, at least long enough for her body to have processed it till it just made it to the brain barrier where it made through. And you could actually find uh, the only sample in her body would be from uh, her brain tissue. That leads to another very interesting question, Joe. Given the amount that a person would have to take to get into this state, how would you administer that? We know that Anthony Tote wrote a letter to his father saying that Megan had baked the medication into a pie and fed it to his family and then drank an entire bottle, a uh, family-sized bottle of Benadryl herself and then stabbed herself in the stomach. If you don't believe that, which investigators didn't, how would you get or trick or convince someone to take that much Benadryl? It's not convincing or tricking. He forced her. And I'll tell you why I believe that. When investigators got out there, one of the things that they discovered in that search, remember we were talking about how they they uh, had to go back and get search warrant. One of the things that they found um, around the base of the headboard was a homemade restraint. This is a nylon binding that was there that was tied into knots. I think he bound her up and he forced her to ingest this medication. Now, what was the status of this? You know, they talked about this grape flavored medication um, that would have contained diphenhydramine. Uh, there were tablets everywhere. Um, did he liquefy it somehow? Uh, did he, how did he administer it to her? Uh, I think that he restrained her. He forced her to take this medication. And then after she was asleep, he took a knife and essentially buried it into her abdomen twice. Now, it's really hard to tell the earliest reports relative to Megan's body. There was some indication that they felt as though that this was um, that the stab wounds that she had sustained were antemortem, which, uh, of course, means before death. So she could have been in this comatose state. And when she is completely and totally uh, submissive, I guess, uh, you take a knife and you bury it into her stomach in order to guarantee that she was, in fact, dead. What, what absolutely baffles the mind here is that Anthony Tote was not ignorant of human physiology and anatomy. This guy is a physical therapist. He's a board-certified physical therapist. He understands the human body. He, he even understands pharmacology. Um, this is a very blunted way to kill somebody. It, it doesn't show a lot of higher level thinking, which is kind of amazing to me because he's got a background. He has to have background in pharmacology because he understands about people that are in pain and he works with doctors. He knows that they prescribe certain medications to help them. He knows how the physiology of the body, how the body actually works. And, and this is a very drawn out 
uh, way to do this. There was actually a weapon that was found at the scene, a handgun. It seems to me it would have been certainly less torturous to have ended their life in that manner, but he chose to dose them with these high levels of diphenhydramine and then go back after the fact and take a sharp instrument. They recovered two knives at the scene, uh, a sharp instrument and bury it in his wife's abdomen twice. It, it just, it, it baffles me, you know, the thinking that went into this. Joe, we talked about Tyler and the uh, dosage that he was given, but Alex was not given. You would think that him being older and larger, that he would have been given a larger dosage. But that's not the case. No, it's not. Um, Tyler had been given uh, uh, the equivalent of 18 of these 25 milligram tablets. But Alec was actually given uh, given 13, 13 of these tablets. And let me give you an idea how this breaks down. When they did the, remember we were talking about how you take uh, take tissue, soft tissue. They still had soft tissue remaining for a liver examination as well as a brain examination on both boys. And the numbers that they came up with for, uh, for Alec were that he had roughly uh, 7.9 milligrams of diphenhydramine um, in his system at the time of his death. And the way that they broke that down was that he had 6.6 milligrams in his liver and then he had about 1.3 in his brain. So what that means is that the uh, the liver still contained the majority of the diphenhydramine and that it still had not completely made its way through his system at the time in which he was killed. It took less to kill him, though, but he was still stabbed. He was stabbed a single time in his abdomen. I think the 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 problem that the authorities have were faced with in this particular case is that because of the level of decomposition, when this case was being examined, all they could really come up with was nonspecific homicidal violence. So they didn't really understand. It's a very fine line. They didn't really understand how the mechanism may have gone on. But what they did know is that these children and the wife, all died at the hand of another, that this was not some type of accidental death, that it was not some kind of bizarre coincidence, that they all died at the hand of their father and husband. Four-year-old Zoe did not have trauma. She did mm. not have a stab wound. Right. Was she killed by just an overdose? No, no. And her, her, her levels were difficult to determine what they do opine if you will uh was that her death may have resulted um, um from suffocation and, and that has been put forth for each one of these individuals um for megan tyler and alexander as well that that when tote was working his way through uh the murders of his entire family he was trying multiple things um, and again, compromised with decomposition. There's you, you know, the best you can do is, is kind of speculate. Um, there is an indication though, uh, at least from what the medical examiner came up with that Zoe had in fact been suffocated. Uh, did he have her in a sleeping state and then, you know, place his hand over her, uh, nose and mouth? Did he uh, uh, press down on her to inhibit her ability to breathe? That's something called burking. Uh, did that happen? Did he take a pillow and put it over her face and suffocate her? Um, no one really knows. They, they don't really go into great detail talking about things like uh, ligature strangulation or manual strangulation, nothing like that. But the term that seems to rise to the top throughout this entire horrific narrative is suffocation. And that implies to me that their, their airway externally, and when I say that, I'm talking about their nose and their mouth was compromised in some way. We know that you usually get um, either some bruising or petechiae in the mm. eyes that indicate the suffocation. If the bodies were mummified, how would you know? Uh, well, that 
that can be a problem with decomposition and particularly when you have bodies that have been down for this period of time uh, that will have uh, been compromised um, to such a great degree. I, you know, when you take a look even at, uh, at Megan's clothing and you can see some of the images from the crime scene, you'll see these large kind of pooled areas and I'm, just bear with me here. When you see these kind of large pooled areas on the bed that kind of look like blood, that's not what you're seeing. You're actually seeing what's referred to as decompositional fluid, and that's the body beginning to break down. When you see images of Megan's clothing, they're stained uh, with this kind of dark, uh, dark fluid. That's decompositional fluid that's literally seeping through the clothing. So the tissue has become compromised, and that's all tissue throughout the body. So if, if you're looking for specific pinprick hemorrhages, which is another term that we use for, um, for petechiae in the eyes or along the gum line, which is a place we look for them, sometimes they can be very, very difficult to see. You, you really have to take your time. And even in taking your time with severely decomposed bodies, sometimes it's, uh, it's just not going to be visible. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating up to eight passengers. Yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. 
I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun! Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. This guy's entire family is completely wiped out. I mean, there's nobody left. And I can't still, it baffles the mind to think why in the world, why in the world would you eradicate your entire family? Joe, there's one last victim in this massacre that we have not talked about yet, and that is the family dog. You're not going to give the family dog Benadryl, or are you? Yeah, I suppose you could. Uh, and, you know, people do. And if you go online, you can actually find uh, recommended dosages for, for dogs. And again, it's variable dependent upon the weight of an animal, uh, that sort of thing. I think that people do do this. Um, and one interesting little aside in in this in this case is that he had made early on tote that is he had made a, a comment you know relative to the dog that he he wanted the dog to be on the other side with the family you know that they were all going to go over there of course with tote himself he he eradicated his entire family and of course he stayed behind Given that most dogs are a little bit aggressive when they're threatened, we know through the autopsy on the dog that the dog was suffocated. So, Joe, number one, how do you suffocate a dog? And number two, who does the autopsy on the dog? Is that done by a veterinarian or is that done by a, by a medical examiner? Yeah, you know, we're, they're saying that the dog was suffocated. I, I, have, to, I have to think here that uh, this is kind of, more than likely what we refer to as a presumptive diagnosis that, you know, you're really left with nothing else. If, if you're not seeing any kind of trauma on the exterior of the dog, uh, you, you kind of have to whittle it down and decide, well, this is the most likely uh, cause of death for, for the animal. And, um, you know, in cases I've been involved with where there was an animal in, in, uh, in an animal death that was also involved, uh, you know, are connected to the deaths of, of, uh, of humans, uh, we would generally bring in a veterinarian because they're, they're skilled specifically to look for various trauma on animals and this sort of thing. And there, there's actually an entire, uh, an entire practice out there that people might not be aware of. And that's uh, forensic veterinarian medicine. And it's, it's quite, quite wide ranging. I mean, they cover everything from, you know, uh, the doping of animals to uh, examining trauma on animals, poisoning of animals, that sort of thing. So it's an in, in, in completely standalone field in and of itself. But we would generally bring in a veterinarian to make that kind of diagnosis. What's really fascinating about this case, um, when you take a deep dive in it and you begin to kind of examine uh, what happened. There's a couple of schools of thought, um, you know, when you look at bodies and how they're treated after death, we call this uh, memorializing the dead uh, from a perspective of death investigation. What that means is how did a perpetrator actually treat the remains of an individual? Um, you know, he had, Tote had actually drug a mattress into the master bedroom and had laid both boys on the bed together at the at literally on the floor uh, uh, on this on this single mattress. Had laid both of them uh, down there and had wrapped them up. And his wife's body was laying in the bed, and the dog's body was was there on the floor. And the little girl was was wrapped up, and she was laying at the foot of the bed. And and it it makes me think, you know, was he. You know, you, you, you scratch your head over it and you wonder, well, how in the world can you do this? How in the world can you indwell this environment with the decomposing bodies of your loved ones sleeping day in and day out in this environment? You know, are you is he is he honoring the dead by the way he treated them? I, I'd have to say no. Uh, he horribly abused 
these individuals. I'm actually surprised that he wasn't charged with some level of abuse of a corpse as well, because they were down for so very long in that house. It's it's uh, uh, not only did he murder them, but he essentially disrespected their remains after death as well. When you're doing a forensic examination on an animal, Joe, you're obviously not looking at the same thing that you would look for in humans because of the fur. You're not going to see strangulation marks, I would imagine. No, uh, actually, it, it's not too dissimilar. Uh, um, and I'll give you an example. For instance, if we have an individual, uh, a human uh, that has died, for instance, of some kind of head trauma, for instance, um, we actually shave the head. We shave the area, particularly around where we suspect the trauma is, to try to get an idea as to how extensive it is. It's no different with with an animal like this. You would shave the area if you have like a puncture wound to to a dog's body or uh, maybe a horse or something like this. You're going to shave that area around there so you can document it. You can actually examine it, and then you can photograph it. Because, you know, once once the body is out the door, even this applies to an animal like this, um, there's no ca- recapturing that moment in time. Because when this goes to trial, you have to be able to demonstrate this in court and show what precisely happened. You know, there's the old adage um, in, in investigations that if it's not written down, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So you have to go through all of these painstaking measures to document everything along the line. And uh, to this idea of, of strangulation or suffocation with an animal like this, uh, the tissues are going to be similarly reactive, just like humans will. Uh, you would actually see the presentation of petechiae, for instance, in the eyes of a dog, those little uh, blood vessels that are going to burst as a result of this added pressure. So, yeah, it would present in there as well. One other point I'd like to talk about, Joe, is could this have been prevented? There were family members trying to get wellness checks, but they're in two different states. Is there any point that could have been made, Joe, to have prevented this from happening? No, I'm I'm a. I've seen so many death investigations uh, over the course of my career that it, it has. It has, again, solidly founded my belief in that we are all creatures of free will. There's no way. And some people have, have put this forward about, you know, these family members that lived up in Connecticut. They, they're trying to get information, but they're being stonewalled. These deaths resulted directly at the hand of Tote um, and Tony Tote. He, he, he murdered his family. There's nothing that the family could have done any further. There's nothing that the state could have done any further at this point in time. The guy was in a, a state of mind where he knew that he was in uh, a financial collapse. His business was was essentially over. He had lost his licensure to practice as a physical therapist. And now you got the feds knocking on the door. He knew that this was going to come. But how how how's the family in Connecticut going to know that? I mean, I've got family members um, in, in other locations, but I don't know every single detail of their life, but they're, they know enough to be worried. Remember it's around the holidays. You got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas, you got new year's coming up. They actually sent the police, you know, they requested the police go out and do a welfare check. Well, the police, you know, they, they show up at the house and they look in the windows on the, on the first floor, they kind of walk around, make sure there's no signs of forced entry. Windows are not broken out. Door hasn't been kicked in, and they don't see anything that really gives them pause. This is a a family that lives in this house. They rent this house, and just because no one walks walks out the door, you know, when you knock on it, it doesn't give the police carte blanche to go kicking the door in and search throughout the house to find anybody. Um, I don't know that this could have necessarily been. Uh, been prevented on any level whatsoever. Uh, this is a decision that squarely falls on the shoulders of Tony Tote. He made the decision to eradicate his family. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. 